Well, hey, money lover, do you wish you had a do this next guide with the exact steps for building wealth? Because you can. It's called the seven steps to wealth, and it contains a proven framework and actionable plan to build your confidence and grow your wealth. It starts with step one decide. Decide to take action today by grabbing your free guide at hendershotwealth.com forward slash seven steps. That's hendershot with two T's wealth.com forward slash seven steps. The only cost is what you could lose by not taking control of your financial future. Welcome to Profit Boss Radio. I'm your host, Hillary Hendershot, certified financial planner and owner of every money mistake you can imagine. I now run a successful financial planning and wealth coaching firm. I'm here to share with you what I learned turning failure into financial freedom. Profit Boss Radio is all about how women like us are authoring our own lives, rewriting the rule book of money and running incredible businesses. If you like this show, hit subscribe, share it with a friend, and leave us that five-star review. Are you ready, Profit Boss? Let's do this. Hello, Profit Boss. I have today with me the author of the iconic Profit First book, Mike Michalowicz. The man with the hardest name on the planet to pronounce is the creator of Profit First, which is used by hundreds of thousands of companies across the globe to drive profit. I use it in my business. We teach it in our coaching program. We're proud to be Profit First certified coaches. So who better to come on the show and talk to you about why we would do that than the creator himself. He's the creator of Clockwork, which is a powerful method to make any business run on automatic. And in his 2020 release, Fix This Next, Mike details the strategy businesses can use to determine what to do in what order to ensure healthy, fast, permanent growth. And we're also going to be talking about his newest book, which is super relevant to you if you are running a small business. It's called Get Different, released in September of last year, gives you the tools to stand out in any market. Welcome to Profit Boss Radio, Mike. It's a joy to be with you, Hillary. Yeah, I thank you. One addendum, hardest name on the planet, pretty close, because it's Polish. I found the Greeks, my God, Rapapapadopoulos and stuff. That, <laughs> for me at least, is the hardest last name. I said, when we first started scheduling this interview, I said to my team, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to spell this name. But I can now. I actually can. I've typed it so many times. See? See? Now, now. <laughs> I'm a true follower. Now I can spell your last <laughs> yeah, name. Right. You've been, yeah, welcome to the cult. You're in. <laughs> So tell me, Mike, where did you get the idea for Profit First? So where it came from was my own mismanagement of money. So I, I was running my third business. I, my first couple of businesses were successful in that they were never profitable when running them, I sold them. And I came to this belief that you make your money at the very end if you sell your business, or there's going to be a flick of the switch. And one day my business will become profitable. Right. My third business is like, as an angel investor, I'll start 10 companies simultaneously and all these switches will start flipping. And none of them did. I had no idea what I was doing. I was totally out of my expertise, my field of strength. And I, I was a calamity and I lost everything I had. And what that triggered was a big wake up moment for me. And it wasn't like I lost all my money. And I'm like, okay, I'll fix this. I went through depression. I was drinking way too much to drink. Um, I was an insomniac. I was so angry at myself. Actually, I remember blotches from stress and stuff all over my body. And the dermatologist is like, you can't fix that unless you de-stress. I'm like, what? But that was a wake-up call for me. And what I started to do was to reverse engineer or study what I had done and then find what the better approaches were. 
Sometimes it was through reverse engineering, something that worked, what were the steps I took? In many cases, the stuff didn't work. And I was then looking outside of myself and seeing, well, where has this worked? Private first, actually all my work is typically based upon eons of, of successful implementations of a strategy. So profit first isn't something that's magically new. It's the pay yourself first system that's been around since you know, BC, but it's a new deployment of it. So I, I take established ideas, apply it to maybe an uncommon problem, and that's how I matched up. I've been doing profit first for myself now for, I want to say 15 years. It transformed my life. It transformed my life the first day I did it. Not that I was rich overnight by any stretch of imagination, but the confidence that flowed back to me that I finally had control over my numbers. I knew where things were going and I could see the profit slowly, but consistently daily accumulating. It just transformed me. And then, then I wrote a book about it because I wanted to serve others. Well, and you, you, would you say you have a head for numbers? I mean, you seem no, like a numbers guy. No. I mean, but I, I, I'm good at like basic algebra. Like, you know, I, I can <laughs> I can solve for X if it's like a three component equation. Th- that's my level of expertise. <laughs> I can't read a cash flow statement. I really can't. I, I don't really understand an income statement at its fundamental levels. I, yeah, I can look through and say, oh, here's money coming in. Here's money going out. But that's about it. What I can do is log into a bank account. So what I realize is that I have a very simple level of processing numbers and simple ways of doing business. And that what will serve me best and and likely other entrepreneurs is instead of trying to sophisticate myself, become more sophisticated and going back to school for stuff that I'll never really understand, why not just build a system that allows me to continue to do the things that I'm doing? I, I don't read those statements. I log into my bank account. So it's like, okay, let me set up a system at my bank because that's what I do. And that's how I channeled, instead of changing my behavior, I channeled my behavior to get the results I wanted. And I read The Richest Man in Babylon, and I I have a head for numbers. I, I don't claim to be an accounting expert, but I never understood. What does he mean when he says, pay yourself first? I don't get it. I just don't understand. But Profit First makes it so clear, right? And for those of you listening who may not be familiar with what Profit First is, a lot of people know. I mean, you've changed like the world at this point. I feel like Profit First is global. But for those of you who may not know, it's a series of multiple accounts. It acts like an irrigation system where you literally divide each dollar of revenue into categories that you need in your business, including profit, owner compensation, operating expenses. So your bills get paid and you have profit, sort of reverse engineer profit from the very beginning. Oh, taxes. I almost forgot about taxes. And by the way, Mike, this is, and it's hard to put it on the website as a benefit, but in my coaching program, the thing people get most excited about that was surprising to me is come April of every year, they call me up and they go, Hillary, I can pay my tax bill. Is that effing weird? (laughs) It's weird. Hillary, I get the same thing. I know. I, I, the first time uh, I had the book out, the first year, full year cycle, I was cringing when tax time was coming because what I was expecting was people to have a bigger tax bill. And they were because they were saving more money. The business was more profitable. They were taking more money. So I'm like, oh, these tax bills are going to crush people. And the first email comes in, it's like uh, tax time. And I was like, I don't want to open this one. My God. And I open it and it starts off with a woohoo. And I'm like, what? The person's like, my company has paid all my taxes for me. And then it consistently, I got all these emails. I got the most emails around the US tax time, April, where people are thrilled about paying taxes. Now, here's the the behavioral reason behind it. There's this ownership effect. Once we possess something, it becomes more significant to us. We want to retain it. So the analogy would be if if I gave you $20, Hillary, and said, here's $20, hope you enjoyed. Oh, and by the way, please give me $7 back right now. 
even though I just granted you pointed out, I'm taking some of that back from you. There's a negative association. It's like, oh, you're, you're taking money back from me. It's only 13. But if I simply said, hey, here's $13, enjoy it. There's no negative association. It's all that goes to you. And we're like, yes. And if I reserved the remaining seven for you, and when tax time comes, I paid it for you. Like, oh my God, you're a hero, Mike. It's the exact same numbers, but the psychology is radically different. What happens in Profit First is we are giving the owner the net portion effectively due to them, and they're never taking possession of the taxes. So you're not given money and then taken back from you. It just sits in a pool that the business then pays. And just by doing that little thing, the psychology flips and we become empowered and excited. Hey, money lover, it's Hillary. When I'm not behind the mic here, I'm running Hendershot Wealth Management, a fee-only fiduciary financial advisory firm that works with women and couples who want to take their finances to the next level. That fee-only part is important when it comes to financial advisors because it means there are no kickbacks or incentives built into the advice we give. We succeed only when you succeed. Listen, I've made all the money mistakes in the book, but I've taken myself from nearly $600,000 in debt to a seven-figure net worth, and that's what I want for you too. The wealth, not the debt. If you're ready for financial freedom, let's chat. All of our clients start with an initial no-obligation call, like a meet-cute. Not a formal meeting without a romantic relationship on the other side, just a potentially lucrative one. Your finances are your future, and who you partner with matters. So grab your coffee and let's get started at hendershotwealth.com forward slash contact. That's hendershot with two T's, wealth.com forward slash contact. And now back to the show. Well, it's huge to be able to go from being someone who in many cases for years has defaulted on the taxes. Like we meet a lot of business owners who are in hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt to the IRS. You know, and I say credit card debt is like, okay, we can deal with credit card debt, but the IRS can like put its hand into your bank account and take your oh my money. God. Like, like this the is government puts its hand down your throat into your gut and just rips it out with your soul with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's brutal. And to be able to write a $50,000 or a $60,000 check and say, I now I don't owe you anything. It's like, wow. It's like you're, the you're first- free from, from Uncle Sam. Free. It's freeing. I, I remember the first time, this is pre-private first, when I couldn't pay taxes. Every single time I was shocked and surprised that I owed taxes. It was always, you know, every year it's like, I owe? I couldn't believe that. And then this one time came, 2008, when I couldn't pay taxes, I was done. And I had a big tax bill because of the success of the business early on but I wiped out all that money. And I went to my account and I said, well, you know what? Like, can we just not pay the taxes this year? And he starts laughing. He's like, you can go to jail? I'm like, what? He's like, oh, they're gonna come after you. He's like, you can go on a legalized mafioso. Like they will charge you an interest rate plus penalties and they're gonna start slamming you. And it was just every day getting hammered. It was so bad. I remember... I never knew this, but someone's tracking your financial well-being because when I couldn't pay those taxes, I started getting stacks of mail, like stacks of junk mail saying, get rid of your taxes, uh, you know, reverse your debt. Uh, you know, clearly you're, you suck, Mike. We can save that. It was overwhelmingly depressing and sad. And uh, I, I paid that tax bill. That was the first priority. And then I paid off all of my debtors that are creditors that I had a debt to because of the profit first system. They do Never know where you are. There. No debt. No debt. Oh, yeah. 
yeah, never going back there again. And they do know exactly where you are because I had to stop paying on my credit card debt for a while. I just let it sit for a couple of years. And it was like the minute, the minute I had money, <laughs> they called me up. They called me up and they said, we're back. I said, okay, I'll pay you off. I never want to talk to you again. <laughs> it's terrifying. I remember bills coming in and I was so afraid because I didn't have money. I couldn't pay the taxes. I wasn't going to open these bills. My, my logic was if I don't open it, I won't feel the pain. But then the, then the collections come in. It was terrifying. And you know, with Profit First, when I implemented that for myself, like I said, the next day I had this confidence. I was like, okay, I now have control. It doesn't mean the next day I wiped out my debt. It, it took me, I think, five or six years to get through everything. But every time I got one bill done, like when the, when the taxes were gone, I was like, never again will I have a tax problem. And now let me get through these bills. And the first big credit card got rid of that. Done. Uh, it felt really good. And I was getting more and more momentum. Now, one last thing is, so people say, oh, you're anti-debt. I am anti-ignorant debt. And that's what I had. Like I had no clue how to leverage debt. I was just spending other people's money. There's what's called debt leveraging that many people say they're doing, but no one really does. Very few, I should say. Very debt few. leveraging is where I borrow money with the high probability, the almost 100% probability that for $1 uh, borrowed, I can return $2 within a short period of time, 60 days. And then I can return to my my creditor, the dollar plus their interest and get a residual benefit to me. That's a good use of debt. That's debt leveraging. Very few people do it. And I didn't realize I wasn't doing that. Now, when it comes to certain things I'm looking at, I may acquire debt temporarily if there's an advantage to me where it will result in a return that pays off the debt and serves me. Yeah, well, if you can make 100% IRR in uh, uh, in 60 days, we should do another episode. So I'll, 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 <laughs> yeah, I'll contact yeah, your team. I, I don't, I, yeah. <laughs> it, it's a driver in the corner of the street over here. He said he could do it. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to know right now. <laughs> My lawyers will not let me publish the interview. Um, <laughs> uh, I want to talk about some of the almost magical results people get from Profit First. So just between you and me, uh, I've run Profit First a type of system in my personal accounts for years. I don't do budgeting, right? So I use multiple accounts. Uh, by the way, sidebar, the biggest protestation I get from people when I talk about this system is, but Hillary, I don't want to pay the minimum fees on the bank accounts. It's like, oh my oh, God, you have to be kidding me. The benefits you're going to get from this are so much bigger. And by the way, my bank gave me a free a free ticket. So I have five accounts at my business bank, which is First Republic, small plug for First Republic. You, Mike, and your team have banks that work with the Profit First system as well. So they're not the only one. I pay for one account and I have five. So I love it is possible. That. Yeah, it's definitely um, possible. You know, and you know, I think one thing we have to realize is, first of all, the the ownership effect, right? So what we feel with the bank is we put a thousand dollars in, and they're taking a piece of that, makes us angry. But we got to look at the return. But the other thing is, banks, most of them are private institutions, which means they are vendors just like any other vendor. And if it was like my water guy, and he's like, "We're moving the price up ten dollars," I can say that water vendor, well, I'm not going to pay it, or I'm not going to use your service anymore. I can go to another water delivery guy. Well, you can go to another bank. You're not beholden to the bank. It's not It's not a government institution. It's a private institution. And you can tell them, hey, let's negotiate this. I don't want to pay fees. And as a result, I'm going to save more money here, which you can then use for loans and so forth. So it's an asset. Do you want that? And if not, I respect your decision not to serve me, the customer. I'm just going to go elsewhere. And you can say right. that. And that gets to the power of asking for what you want, which is totally, which is massive. I've had people go to their banks with the book in hand because I talk about that in the book. Literally, I've had people say, I went to the bank and they said, uh, we're going to charge you a fee. There it is. 
we're going to charge you a fee. And uh, these people have said, uh, and on page you know, 74, Mike says, you can't charge me a fee. And they slide the book across the table. And, and sometimes the manager's like, okay, okay. <laughs> so for years, I've been, uh, had a goal of paying myself a half million dollars a year. And I've been close. Nice. And I signed up as a profit first coach in September last year, right? And we got on the calls because you give us coaching as coaches, yes. right? So it's real, it's a real thing, this certification. And it's real we, people, it's not just all videos or something. <laughs> and I I because I have been primarily a financial planner, I get paid quarterly. And I was like, you know, I do profit first in my personal accounts. So obvious. All I have to do is not spend what's whatever's in my bank account. I never had a problem. So I didn't do the profit first system in my business accounts yet. So they had me do it. And in three months, Mike, I got to a half million. Nice. (laughs) So Mm, last mm. year, last year, I met my goal for the first time. So thank you for that. And, you know, this dovetails into something that you do address in the book, which is this idea that people have that if they earmark for owner compensation and profit that they're taking away from operating expenses, marketing, money they can use to run the business and make more money. But there's like this, and I think I'm a little bit more woo, a little bit more woo than you, maybe. Um, Because I think it's just like magic. When you do the right things with your money and you follow the principles, more money shows up. And you, you you address that in the book, but how do you explain that? Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned richest man in Babylon. They talk about that, that money makes money, that money starts to work on your behalf and that there's an attraction. So if you believe in law of attraction, that, you know, that will work. So my belief is based upon a human behavioral theory. So that's what my intrigue is, is in human behavior. There's a concept called Parkinson's law. Parkinson was studying human behavior. This is in the 1950s and noticed that as a resource expands its availability, we consume more of it. If you were given more time to do something, say, I, I want to clean my house and I, I got to clean this one room in my house and I'm going to give myself the week to do it. Chances are, I'm not going to get done until the end of the week. It'll take me the week. Conversely, if I give myself only 24 hours to get that same room clean, it'll likely happen in 24 hours. Now, nothing's changed except for the assignment of time, the resource of time. So less time, what happens? Well, we start hustling more. Uh, we're more efficient in the use of time. It's called forced frugality. There's less available. We have to work with what we have. Well, this is true for money too. What's almost uncanny for most business owners, entrepreneurs, anyone that makes an income, as their income increases, their spend increases almost uncannily at the exact same rate. That's Parkinson's law, more available, more consumption. And that's why many people live check by check, regardless if they make 50,000 or 500,000 and anything in between, they are living check by check. But Parkinson's law also revealed that if we intentionally put a gap between that. If we take away some of the resource that's available to us, we will then adjust accordingly to the lower resource. That's why 401ks are the most effective savings mechanism in US history for individuals because it comes out before you even get your check. So I make 50,000 a year, but really what I do is I adjust my lifestyle off the net income and there's money being saved on the side. So what we do with Profit First is it's kind of that same 401k behavior. There's a certain amount of money coming in but we're going to take it out and hide it away from you first. And then the residual, you very quickly, you'll adjust your business to live off of it. The great irony is, and we have over 600,000 businesses that have implemented this. We get ton, we have tons of case studies and tons of feedback coming in. Consistently, business owners and myself included are blown away 
that when there's less money in your operating expenses, that doesn't compromise the business. It runs just as efficiently. Maybe I don't buy a brand new computer. Maybe I buy a used one to save the money because that's all my OPEX can afford. But the consequences are, are nil. And I'm going to go one step further. I'm soapboxing. But businesses that focus on profit first, we've also seen grow faster than their contemporaries. The most common feedback I get is, I can't take money out of the business. I can't be profitable because I need to put it back and I need to plow it in. I hate that word. Or reinvest. Those things kill me. What we're saying is it takes money to make money. That axiom is total nonsense. It does not take money to make money. It takes innovation. It takes thoughtfulness. It takes projection to make money. And so what happens is when you take your profit first, when you take your proper pay first, the remaining money is what's truly available for you. And now you have to think innovatively. It forces hard conversations with yourself, with your, your team members, your partner, but you have to think new ways about your money. You become far more innovative and innovation is what beats the competition. That's why we see these businesses that focus on profit first. They start breaking the rules of an industry. They find better approaches. They redefine the industry and they grow faster than their competitors. So I have an invitation for you today, Profit Boss. If you're like the many business owners I've worked with across industries to increase profits over the last 10 years, you likely feel like you have nothing to show financially for all your hard work. It is hard to make and manage money well, and you're left wondering what you're doing wrong and what you probably feel like is you're on the outside looking in at the good old boys club of running a profitable business. Me and my team are here to help. I'm hosting our brand new, totally free four-day online masterclass called Make 2022 Your Most Profitable Year Yet, starting on Tuesday, February 22nd. In just a few days, you will see how to retool your money operating system technology to heal your relationship to money, finally produce predictable profits, and automate your financial success. You'll complete the event with a customized and detailed and finally effective 2022 profit strategy. We'll also be offering a few live one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions for people who attend live. So go to hillaryhendershot.com forward slash 2022 to save your spot. That's hillaryhendershot.com forward slash 2022. I will see you there. It is like magic. And I say in my coaching program, it's like there is a magic to being a business owner. You're always producing something that wouldn't have existed without you, right? That thing, that product or service doesn't exist without you if you're not running the business. And you're always trying to make it work with less resources than you want. And I think it's just another way of saying what you just said. And, and when people start to manage their money correctly like this, I mean, people come to me and it's, there's, they're always like saucer eyed that it happened. Hillary, I have so much money in my bank account. How did this happen? <laughs> Happen, right. you know, right. and you're like, well, share some with the person who gave you the advice. Like, sorry, <laughs> Hillary, it's all mine. I've asked everyone that reaches out to me and says, I can't believe I have this much money. Not everyone, but some of them are like, hey, if you want to share with the author guy, and everyone's like, no, I'll decline. I'll decline. Yeah, there was no revenue share attached to the purchase. Yeah, yeah of that I should book, put in the book. <laughs> yeah, one percent. All I'm asking is one percent. So, what does it mean to be a profits uh, profit first certified coach? What is the what is the body of coaches like? So. um, when I wrote the first manuscript before it went to print, I distributed it. And the first feedback I got was, you know, great system or trying this out, but I got to make sure I'm doing this right. Who is the professional that I should hire? Who's certified in this? And that was the, oh, duh, I should have had a V8 moment that it was important to find professionals 
who would become certified in this process. And, and our standard is, as you shared earlier, you got to implement it for yourself. So, I, you know, it's like my doctor saying, Mike, you got to stop smoking as he lights a cigarette in my face. Like that doesn't compute. So our, our certified process professionals first implement the systems themselves. And, and we audit that. We ensure that's implemented properly. The reason is this is a behavioral-based system. It's not just numbers. There's an emotional transformation that will happen. And our PFPs, as we call them, profit-first professionals, can associate that because they've lived through it. Like, oh, the feelings you have. And when that first tax bill comes, like how cool it is to pay taxes. The second thing is the book is the basic core framework. It's it's admittedly 1%. It's the important 1%, but it's the foundational 1%. There's tons of other stuff. Like, what are the tax consequences? What do I do to invest money? How do I leverage debt? How do I adjust my business? Or if I don't have a business, uh, how can I employ profit first on a personal basis? Like all these different elements that happen then. And that's what our profit first professionals do. They go through that training. We have a community where they share with each other. I think we're always on the cutting edge. We are an international organization. We have over 600 members now globally. And the book is, is in 26 languages. So what's happened is we're like, oh, uh, in Russia, you got to do X, Y, Z. In the US, you do ABC. And if you're ever doing a transaction with Russia from the US, you got to do, you know, ELF or something. So I spelled elf, but you, you, <laughs> you know, cute. what you do is you find out is that this is a living process. The, the rules and laws and economics and pandemics, there's always things shifting. And while the essence of profit first stays the same, the dynamics we're always uh, working on and our profit first professionals are the ones who are on the cutting edge of this. My last little diatribe here about PFPs. So whenever I talk to someone that's reading the book and wants to implement it right, I implore upon them, find a profit-first professional, make sure they're actively certified. Unfortunately, there's people out there that say, oh, I've read the profit-first book. I can do this. They've read the 1%. And sadly, I've seen people teaching incorrectly. I've seen YouTube videos of people saying, oh, you don't need the bank accounts. I'm like, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. That's a behavioral intercept. The, the foundational principle is you must intercept a behavior. Oh, just put it on spreadsheets. Do, do people go into our accounting system and manage your money that way? No. If you are logging your bank accounts, we must intercept the behavior. There's people even missing those fundamental elements and saying so. Make sure you have a certified PFP. Yeah, thank you, PFP. I got that. And um, one of the coolest things for me is the online portal the, with the intake form. We put all of our clients' numbers in there, and it oh, yeah. spits out a report of exactly how their accounts should look. And it so you know not only are you know are we currently certified and staying true to the fundamental principles of the book, but they get this personalized report. So I know it's McCallowick stamped, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so that's technology we've developed for our PFPs to use. Uh, we're always we're monitoring. The all industries. So our initial survey was a thousand uh, businesses. Now we're surveying more and more, and we're adding that data in, and we're seeing um, how businesses, based upon different revenue ranges and stuff, can perform. Additionally, it has a rollout plan. So one mistake people do in implementing Prop First, they say, "Oh, the taps, what we call target allocation percentages, the numbers I should be at are here. Here's where I am. I'm going to go there." And such an abrupt shift to their business, it, it corrupts the system, and they fall apart, and then they're back to square one. So we, in those reports, have a rollout plan. Do we want to roll this out aggressively over four or five quarters, or do we want to take a more moderate approach, do it over eight or nine quarters, a couple of years, and, and implement this so that we slowly grow and, and build that muscle? And that's all part of that reporting system. 
Yeah. Super helpful because when you get the first numbers, it's like, well, it should look like this, but it now it looks like this, but how in the heck do I run my how business and my life and get there? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's, that's it's like exercise. Great. Like I go to the gym and sometimes I go there and I'm not trying to pick on guys, but it's, it's mostly the guys who do this. These people, you know, someone you've never seen the gym before probably is not exercising much shows up. He goes right to the bench press and, and I see him stacking on weights. I'm like, are you kidding me? What are you doing? And then tries to do that one push. He's pushing as hard as he can, a little bit of feet, everyone's looking. And then he rips his shoulders out of his sockets and then never comes to the gym again, never again. And what the problem is, is they had this inspirational moment saying, I'm going all in. It's time I get fit for life. But they, they do that maximum amount of weight that they've ever imagined they could lift on day one and it injures them and they never do it again. I see that with finances. People say, I, you know, I got to live the rich life. I'm going to deploy a system all out but they rip their shoulders out effectively and then they never return. And that's the ultimate sin because then they're done for life. So you start slow and let it grow, you know, throw up five pound weights. If that's your starting point, that was my starting point. Uh, I'm now at seven pound weights. Start, start. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Seven pounds. Thank you. Well, and you're great with the story, but the thing that happens to me most in the gym is I get mansplained, Mike. Oh, uh, let me I show ever... you. Let me show you how to do this exercise. Little woman. I apologize for all men. And uh, I, yeah, that is the most condescending, patronizing thing that men can do. And I've done that with my own wife. My wife, we got a rowing machine and she's like, oh, I want to use a rower. I'm like, let me explain how to row. Let me show you. Let me show you how. Yeah. She's like, you don't need to mansplain. I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I just did that. Very good. Okay. And I, I want to transition to your newest book. And this is the first time ever in the history of my show I've had both the author's books right in front of me. So this is super cool. Yeah. I feel like I'm just um, supported with props today. Let's talk about get different because I, I actually, it was, it was incredible for me to read your, you articulate your target audience for the first time. I read it for the first time in this book. You say it's the small business owner getting started, doesn't have the resources of the major corporations, right? And here I am a woman running, running a financial services business in an, in a world where financial services is a mega monolith of an industry, you know, and I thought not only am I smack in Mike's target audience, but so are the people I work with. Yeah. Right? I love so I we're, we're talking to the same people. So, um, you know, and the, the, the example that stands out for me with get different is the guy who invented the spinners, the, sp- the spinner arrows. So, yeah, oh, so for the real estate business, f- for getting people's attention on the street. Yeah. Oh, so, oh, oh, Matt, oh, um, Matt, the, um, I can't the, alter- the alternative Max, to Max. the sandwich boards. So was that his story is Max Durovic It's coming back to me now. So his name, so what he did, and this is the opportunity for all of us. Actually, let me let me start at the baseline. I believe for every business owner out there, if you offer something better than the competition, uh, in some capacity, if you care more, do you respond quicker? Do you, you you do deeper? You go deeper into the analytics. If you are better than the competition, you have a damned responsibility to market because it's a disservice that they don't find you. They find the, the monolithic competition that does the generic job, but you're invisible. Shame on you. Shame on me for not marketing that way. We have to get noticed. You have a responsibility to market. It's the ultimate act of kindness. Well, this guy, Max, he's working outside of Delhi. Maybe he didn't even believe in Delhi because he was an employee that was better than others, but it was a small deli. And he's just sitting there holding the sign. He was doing the exact same thing as everyone else. Lesson numero uno is if you do the same as your competition in marketing, you are invisible. You'll never be seen. 
The human mind, how it consumes information, there's a thing called the reticular formation. It's a blocking mechanism. It's the, the guard or gatekeeper to the human brain. Its job is ignore everything unless it's a threat. My survival ability depends on it. It's an opportunity. It's going to serve me. Or it's something I've never seen before because we have to evaluate it. When you're holding a sign there, you're just more of the common noise. You're very ignorable. So he just sat there and he, he flipped it once. And he kind of flipped it again. It was kind of entertaining for him. And he noticed people started turning their heads like, what are you doing? He became ground zero for the sign flipping industry. Started learning gymnastics, spinning on his finger. And you've probably seen that. And Hundreds of times. Chances are, if you have seen it, first time you saw it, you probably were enamored by it. Like, oh my God, look at this. You Couldn't stop staring, rubbernecking. Like, what is that? Yeah, rubbernecking. Like, what's this person doing? <laughs> They're flipping signs and stuff. It became really intriguing. That's the essence of different. The first part of different is do something that disrupts the pattern noise, stand out. The second thing is, Keep them engaged. I use a framework called DAD, which sounds like very patronizing now. Oh, it's DAD. Let me mansplain what DAD is. We'll forgive uh, you. Father? <laughs> so DAD, um, <laughs> there's three elements. It stands for D, differentiate, A, attract, and the final D is direct. So differentiate, do something that breaks the common noise. It then has to be attractive, meaning it needs to speak to an audience or it has to be a compelling reason to stay engaged. You do that by solving a problem, by addressing a pain, but you also do it through education and entertainment. Spinning signs is an entertainment factor that keeps people engaged, but only for a certain period of time. There's a certain period where we're like, oh, this has been fulfilling enough. I'm done watching the sign spinner. You don't stay there for life. There's a time like, oh, watching that guy for a minute was interesting. And now I have a story to tell my friends. The last element is a direct. A direct is once you have them engaged, tell them what to do next. And the key is it needs to be safe and reasonable. That sign flipper can't say, hey, you know, give us a thousand dollars and we'll supply sandwiches this year for you. It's absurdly big. But also a mistake would be someone flipping the sign saying, hey, hope you enjoy the sign flipping show. Go on your merry way. There's a reason it has an arrow and they hold it at times. They flip that sign, they point, best sandwich, you know, this way. And that is the director telling you what to do. And they're doing it in a way that's safe and reasonable. We're like, oh yeah, I was kind of hungry. I'll get a sandwich. So don't ask too much. Don't ask nothing take that next step with your prospect. And you start the book with a story of the publication of your first book, The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur. Is that story <laughs> true? Did it really flop? Did you oh, really yeah. sell no copies? <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. The first day of my life, the first day of my author life was miserable. So to give context, I'm writing a book, Toilet Paper Entrepreneur, my first book. And I'm like, this book is going to be amazing. And I'm like, I'll probably sell millions of copies. So I'm going to buy 20,000 hard print copies. I'll storm um, at this distribution center. And, and I'll probably sell out of that in the first week. If you're selling a million copies, that's like a week's sales. I remember, I didn't put this in the book. I remember I called from the printing company and the printer said, my God, you're printing 20,000 copies. The owner of the company called and said, and said, I need to get this book. How come there's so many copies being printed? And I was like, oh shit. Then on day one of my launch, which I had no marketing plan, I said, I'm just going to do what everyone else does. I'll just tell people, buy my book. Uh, I sold zero copies. And, and to give context, my own mother didn't buy a book that day. <laughs> it was a really hard day. And also something I didn't include in the book, at the end of the day, I knew another person that had authored a book. And he, <laughs> he said words that dug into my soul. He said, uh, oh, he goes, don't worry about that. It's simply the quiet before the quiet. And I was like, are you kidding me? I'll tell you the one benefit. I was so invested in success. I spent my last penny on this great idea to become an author that I had to sell these books. 
So the next morning, first call was my mom. I came, mom, could you buy a book? She did. She just didn't, she, by the way, she wanted to buy the book. She didn't know it was launching the prior day. Then I started to hustle. I did everything I could to get noticed. I think one of the things I did that was radically different and started kind of entrenching me in this process is I went to Barnes and Nobles and I called them and said, Hey, I'd like to get my book, you know, on all your bookshelves. And they, the person I talked to actually laughed. She's like, <laughs> she was yourself published. And she goes, I don't know about that title, by the way, and hung up. And I was like, I was so pissed, not at her, but at my outrageous belief I could sell these books, going all in on it and not doing it, that I said, I'm going to move all these books. I then went to Barnes and Nobles and so I asked my friends to do this too. They went to Barnes and Nobles in their areas. I snuck books into the store and I'm walking to the back. This is the weirdest thing. I'm not stealing. I'm actually supplying and I'm sneaking in the store. I take books out of my backpack and I just put them on the shelves. Totally true. I get a call two or three months after doing the stunt. And we're stocking regularly now in the Barnes and Noble stores. Barnes and Noble, same woman calls. She'd forgotten who I was. And she says, hey, uh, this is Barnes and Noble's, which I was terrified. I thought I was going to get sued here. I don't know why. I'm giving books. but I was like, I We're sending sued. the FBI to your office. Yeah, yeah. What do you do? She goes, um, she goes we're, we have transactions happening on your book. There's a, there's a thing called a book scan, a standard uh, social security number. She goes, we're, we're having transactions in your books, but we don't supply it. Something's wrong here. She goes, we need 3,000 of these books tomorrow. And I'm like, okay. She goes, who's the distributor distributing this? And I'm like, what's a distributor? <laughs> she goes, what? Because, all right, here's the deal. We have a distributor. We're calling them now. They'll take care of everything. There's going to be a, a, an 18-wheeler picked up at your distribution center. Where's that? I said, my house? Five, like, five, okay. five Main Street, yeah. Yeah, five, five Main And sure enough, this 18-wheeler pulls up the next day on our little cul-de-sac area. The guy had to jackknife this thing like 100 times to get it turned around. Fills it up with 3,000 books. The moral of the story is right around Christmas time, another author you may have heard of, Gary Vaynerchuk, was launching a book called Crush It. That book came out and they had it on an end cap display and Barnes and Nobles put my book right next to it on an end cap display, a nobody. My book sold like wildfire. It took off and uh, subsequently I've sold over a hundred thousand copies of that book. It entrenched me in the necessity to do different, to get different. How did you do to get on the end cap? Did, was that Nothing. just luck? I just, I was stocking their store. They, they chose to do it. Oh, because you, you snuck it in and it was selling. It was selling. And it was, I guess, I, you know what it was? It wasn't selling. I don't think it was selling tons of copies. Some people were buying it. But what, here's what's happening is now it wasn't a transaction at the register. There was a transaction not going through. The store manager had to get called. Store manager comes in and says, I don't know what this is. Store manager calls headquarters. We have a book that's not processing properly. And this was happening from multiple spots. This became the conversation at corporate is what's going on with this book. That, that was the play. And, and now corporate says, well, this book is, everyone's talking about it. Not everyone. Five or six store managers are calling in. But to them, that's everyone because it never happens. Corporate must have said, let's end cap this book because it's a hot item. And the rest for me is history. Yeah, man, what an entrepreneurial uh, serendipity. That's awesome. So I don't. Uh, I hope this doesn't put you on the spot. Uh, you're great with stories. So I'm thinking you'll have a few, but I'm just, I'm hoping for a couple examples of how people who have read your book are using the advice to get different. Uh, your, fa- your favorite win stories. My favorite win uh, is a gym in Salt Lake City. And the strategy is whatever the common noise is in an industry for marketing, don't do that. 
The common noise for gyms are before and after. Schlubby, unfit person turns into ripped, amazing jack person. And you see these before and afters everywhere in all the gyms. So one gym in Salt Lake City uh, deployed a different strategy. They said, this is the common noise that everyone else sees before and after. So let's get rid of that. What they did is they got mirrors that were used in fun houses. And this is a technique called R&D, rip off and duplicate. You, you take an idea from somewhere else and you bring it in, you rip it off and duplicate. And what they noticed, and I noticed, is when someone goes to a fun house, like when I took my kids there, it's always fun to look in the mirrors and you take pictures of yourself and so forth. They then put these two mirrors in their window. They got rid of the before and afters of clients and they took one mirror that made you kind of look like really squat and like a, like a monster of some sort. And on it, they put and the one words, that made you look long and thin. Yeah, that was the after. <laughs> and they put the words before and after on it. So now imagine you're walking down the street and you look in the mirror and everyone looks in mirrors and we're like, oh my God, look at me. And people started taking pictures. It went on social media. But the biggest part was they had the direct, that last D and dad. It said, we just transformed you in these mirrors. Now let's transform you permanently in your life. Walk inside. And their foot traffic went up by four times. The business started pulling in customers left and right. That, that's one of my, one of the recent kind of favorite different stories. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, hopefully I, I'll, I'll be able to come back to you with some win stories from my client base. Mike, I just really appreciate you and your time. It's been great to get to talk to the father of Profit First. Uh, and we, we appreciate your time. So um, where should people go to find you? Where are your favorite places to for people to find out more about what you're doing? Yeah. So the best place to go is MikeMichalowitz.com. But we already discovered no one can spell Michalowitz or Hillary, you can now, but the best place to go is MikeMotorbike.com. Huh, another different strategy. What, you know, what's your nickname? That was my nickname from high school. I've never driven a motorcycle. So there, go figure, but it rhymed. So Mike Motorbike, go to Mike. It wasn't my only nickname, by the way. There's other ones that are not PG rated. I bet. Yeah. This is the PG rated. So go to MikeMotorbike.com. On there, you'll find uh, all the books, free chapter downloads. You can explore them before you make a purchase. Uh, I used to write for the Wall Street Journal. You can get those articles for free, plus other content. It's all free at MikeMotorbike.com. Awesome. Thanks for joining us today on Profit Boss Radio. As we wrap things up here for today, I need to review with you the things I have to disclose as a fiduciary financial advisor offering wealth management services through my firm, Hendershot Wealth Management, LLC. You should know that the opinions I express on Profit Boss Radio are my own, and they can change. The content I provide in the show is for general education. It's not intended as specific investment advice, nor do I recommend any specific financial products. Unlike how I roll at home with my husband, I can't guarantee that my statements, opinions, or forecasts are always 100% right. Of course, I wish I could peek into that proverbial crystal ball, but so far, I haven't found it. Past performance is not indicative of future results. I talk a lot about indexes and I want you to know you can't actually buy an index because of course when you take a list of companies and create a product that allows people to invest in those companies, there are fees and expenses involved that reduce returns. Remember, all investing involves risk, which as you know, means you could lose your money. And I have to tell you that there is no guarantee that any investment plan or strategy will be successful. And that should keep my lawyers happy. Have a great day.